Hello, everyone, and welcome back to your favorite podcast with your three favorite geniuses giving our not-so-genius takes on all things TCU football and many other things this week going on around the country and with the Frogs. Uh, We're going to do things a little differently this week. As a tease for what we're going to get into later, I'm representing the best minor TCU team there is, and that is the club uh, trap and skeet team. But before we get into anything like that, we're going to take a little bit to talk about last week's game, but not a lot. No one really wants to hear about what happened last week. We're going to dive right into the player awards. Jacob, who is our golden player of the week? So our golden player, there really was only one person who deserved this award. Once again, it's Amani Bailey. He had another 100-yard game, 8.3 yards per carry. Yeah, Amani Bailey, golden player of the game once again. Congratulations. And Barrett, who do we have for the Franken-Sensational player? Yeah, so Franken-Sensational player of the week goes to Namdi Obi-Izor. He had 13 tackles, 10 of which were solo tackles, a sack, and a TFL. The dude was all over the field in a game where pretty much nothing went right for the Frogs. He actually played really well. All right. For the player we want Murr out of, there was a significant amount of competition. And quite frankly, we're kind of sick of explaining the reasons TCU sucks this year and which player sucked the most among many players who sucked. This player I'm going to give in a hundred-way tie to all of the players and staff and everyone on our team because we kind of suck this year. And we are not going to waste any time explaining that. Every game except the Colorado game and the BYU game has been a shock. The Colorado game was a shock because it taught us that we suck. The BYU game was the shock because it made us think we didn't. And now we're right back on track. So rather than sitting around talking about what went wrong last week, maybe the one thing that went right in the entire game last week, and next week's opponent who does not exist, we're going to do something a little more exciting and take a look at the other TCU sports that are happening at the greatest university in the country. Let's get in to TCU Volleyball, boys. What's going on with TCU Volleyball? So TCU Volleyball is led by head coach Jason Williams. Last year was his first year, and we finished third outright in the conference after being picked seventh uh, in the coaches poll. We had a record 11 wins in Big 12 play, and we were undefeated at home in conference play, which is the first time we'd ever done that. And I believe Texas was the only other team to do that last year. And we reached our fourth NCAA tournament ever, and it was our first in six years. And we won a game in that tournament, beating Wisconsin, who is a national powerhouse. Some might even say a perennial powerhouse uh, to advance to the second round of the tournament. With that happening last year, there was a bunch of hype coming into this year. We are currently 12-9 and overall, so maybe a little bit of a step back this year. 
Uh, we're five and five in the Big 12, sixth in the conference, but the season is still far from over. The, our last two matches were against top 15 teams in Texas and Kansas. And the Texas game, actually, I want to shout out all TCU fans and the players because all in all, it was a fantastic environment. There were 7,412 people at this volleyball game. That is nuts. That would rank, that has to rank top 10 in our basketball attendance as well, or as any attendance in the Schulmeyer. So props to everybody who went out to that game against Texas. I am so sad that we lost that game. We were up two to one in sets, and then UT is just good. I mean, there's no other way to put it. They're really good. Well-deserved win to them. Wish we'd pulled it out. But even with the 5-5 five and five in Big 12 play, we have a ton of room for improvement in our next couple matches to end the season. We have two games at Baylor, two games at UCF, and one game versus BYU. And all three of those teams are ahead of us in the standings. And I believe all three of them are ranked in the top 25 as well. So if we can go 3-2, and 4-1 and one in those five games, I think it would go really far to pushing us up the standings even further. I think a top three, four finish is definitely possible. And I also think that we will be back in the NCAA tournament this year. Yeah, going off of that, a, a couple of things to add, especially coming off of that UT game. So the, if you guys watch the game, the commentators mentioned this brief, very briefly. UT's volleyball team has a lot of size, which means they're not particularly fast. Um, contrary to that, TCU is actually a team that typically plays a lot faster in volleyball. Um, and one of the things that comes with having a, te- a team that's more focused on speed versus size within volleyball is it's very, very heavily reliant on having a strong setter. And if you look at our team comp, our setters, the two that really play, um, one is a sophomore transfer and one is a freshman. So if you think of it like for people that don't know anything about volleyball, like if you think of your setter is like your quarterback of your offense, that everything runs through them and they're the leader of the team. And so we're basically playing with a team where the leader of the teams, quote unquote, is a freshman or like first year on the team. And so the fact that we've even done this well is actually pretty impressive, especially going up against UT, who is a top 10 team, fantastic volleyball program. And they looked really good. Big shout out to um, Audrey Knowles, who is one of our, our hitters. She was absolutely incredible during that game. She had 14 digs and 24 kills, which is absolutely absurd numbers if you know anything about volleyball. So big shout out to her. And speaking of knowing anything about volleyball, a little bit of credit that not only are we three geniuses who inherently know everything, Barrett's wonderful wife who actually knows things about volleyball did give us some pointers on this one. And we want to give her some credit. For those of us who maybe aren't as familiar with TCU volleyball, 
Um, we just wanted to highlight a couple top players on our team besides Audrey Knowles. And um, so, Barrett, why don't you tell us a little bit about them as well? Yep. So starting us off with our outside hitter, she's basically our entire offense in volleyball. Her name is Melanie Para. She's originally from Sinaloa, Mexico. Um, she is statistically our best offensive player. She has a total of 345 kills, otherwise known as spikes, um, for a 4.54 kills per set, which ranks eighth in the country. Um, now, she's got a really, really high usage rate with 886, like almost 900 um, attacks, basically, or attempts which is significantly higher than basically everyone else on our team. Um, she's also got 5.58 points per set, which is third in the country. So, again, she's one of the better offensive players in the Big 12, one of the best offensive players in the country. She's got 34 aces, so she's great on service. Um, 2.3 digs per set. Um little room for improvement on the defensive side for her. Um, my my biggest question for the TCU team is, again, I've, I mentioned it earlier, we're heavily, heavily reliant on Para for our offensive production. And I want to see whether or not we can kind of even that out with Jalen Gibson on the opposite side and take some of that load off her shoulders. Um, she was not necessarily amazing in the UT game, especially being a transfer from UT. Um, having Knowing their system, you would have expected her to have a better performance than she did. Um, that being said, she was still really good, but um, I expect a lot out of her throughout this entire season. Um, kind of moving on to the defensive side of volleyball are, I would say, Starting middle blocker, we kind of have a 1A, 1B in in the middle. And we have a 6'3 sophomore, Sarah Sylvester, is a starter. She has 10 solo blocks, 94 assisted blocks. She's averaging 1.35 blocks per set, which is 23rd in the country. Brianna Green is our kind of 1B middle blocker. She's averaging 1.28, which is 42nd in the country. So we have a really, really dominant one-two punch for defense at the net with our middle blockers that kind of make up for the, I guess, lack of defense from Para at times. Um, so they're not necessarily as great offensively, but again, in general, you're going to rely a lot on your outside hitter within volleyball, like just in general, in terms of gameplay um and so para will see more hits and more attempts throughout the season but she does have a very substantial gap to the rest of the team we've got another sport to get to tcu women's soccer i am far from an expert in tcu women's soccer but i remember our tcu women's soccer games being really freaking fun when i went to tcu so boys what do we know about tcu women's soccer well, they're headlined by their coach, Eric Bell, who's been with the program for a very long time. Uh, this is his 12th season as the head coach. And first couple seasons were development seasons, I think would be the, the way to put that. Uh, but 
we are now one of 14 programs in the country to appear in the last seven NCAA tournaments. And even in, like, I think it was 2020 or 2021, our team wasn't terribly good. We were at risk of losing that streak. But what does Bell do? He leads us to win the Big 12 tournament and get an automatic bid. That's that's just good coaching, solid foundation. Um, and this year, really no different. We've played a couple top 10 teams really closely. Uh, we drew against the number one team in the country, BYU, away, 3-3. Three to three. So that's an impressive uh, finish. We are 10-4-3. and three. And for those who don't know about soccer, ties are allowed. Boo! Boo, you stupid British people. And so that last number, the three, is the amount of ties that we have on the season. Um, three of our four losses have come against top ten teams, which is unfortunate that we weren't able to finish them, but I think believe all three of them were also away which makes a big difference in soccer uh we're seven one and two at home um and then three three and one away we're six one and two in conference which puts us at third um as far as our formation goes it's really interesting we were looking at it and it's hard for me to catch games over here in the uk but just looking at box scores, and I tried to catch a little bit of a replay of a game on ESPN leading up to this. Um, but we have a 4-3-3 base set uh, for our formation. So if you think of it like football, to where our goal that our goalie is at is kind of the line of scrimmage. We have four defenders in front of the goal in a line and then we have three midfielders in front of them and then three forwards attacking the other goal so this formation is extremely fluid because i I think it changes based on our opponent i think the better our opponent is the more actual defenders that we have so we still stay in that four three three the entire time with two center backs, so the two defenders who are in the middle, those are always defenders. Because um, in, in soccer, you have four positions. You have four general positions. You have your goalkeeper, your defenders, your midfielders, and your forwards. So our two center backs, central defenders, are always defenders. But then our wing backs are sometimes defenders and then sometimes midfielders because our, our our offense is heavily reliant on those wingbacks getting forward and contributing. And because of that, the formation and the players are very fluid. So you could have somebody who starts off as a midfielder, but then also plays right wing back for a portion of the game, uh, depending on the um, other team's counterattacks. Barrett, you got anything you want to add? Yeah, uh, kind of going off of that, like with our wingbacks sitting so far forward a lot of the times, um, basically what that translates into is our team typically having a high line and sitting high and pressing 
the opposing offense very aggressively because we sit so high if we don't press immediately and there's a lot of space behind our defensive back line for speedy forwards to get in and and get a one-on-one against the goalie so um you you'll typically see like the tcu offense when we have possession of the ball um it's very very fluid across the midfield with those wingbacks pressed up playing almost like a forward winger and basically like the two wings on the like attacking forward positions pressing inside and creating runs into the box and so like with this system and we'll, we'll talk about some of the key players um gracie bryan is like probably the most important player on the team she's kind of like our attacking midfielder um she has seven goals three game winners two assists uh four to one shots 15 of which were on goal um whenever tcu is running the offense through the center of the field she is almost always touching the ball uh, at some point in the forward attack with all of that space behind the defense that comes from the press, it's a good thing that we do have a good keeper in Lauren Kelly. Uh, she's a senior from Texas, uh, and she only has 14 goals against, which is less than a goal per game average. So if you can have less than a goal per game against average, that's a very good thing in soccer. She has 45 saves on the season uh, for a 76.3 save percentage. And with this, we kind of just wanted to highlight one to two people from every position group who are fans who might not have made it to a game should know. Um, If you guys don't follow soccer at all or follow it very mildly, Manuel Neuer is like one of the best goalkeepers in the world or has been for the past few years. He's a German goalkeeper for Bayern Munich. And he plays a style kind of called like a sweeper keeper where basically he will press super high up and clear out any deep balls that are sent behind a really high back line for Bayern Munich and for Germany. That's basically what TCU's keeper does a lot of the time. She will play really high up and she'll she'll step out of the goalie box a lot of times to clear some deep through balls that are put into space. And for those of you watching who keep hearing this word keeper, that's British for goalie. Yes. So we've we've highlighted Gracie Bryan and we've highlighted uh, Lauren Kellett. But uh, Barrett, who are some other players that TCU fans should know? going forward to the Big 12 tournament and the NCAA tournament. Yeah, going forward, um, a couple of forwards to note. Seven Castain, she's a sophomore from Draper, Utah. She's got seven goals. Um, and A.J. Hennessy, uh, another sophomore from California, has four goals and, and four assists. Um, they, they run off of Gracie Bryan in the midfield. Um Brian creates a lot of goal-scoring opportunities for this TCU offense. 
Hennessy obviously does as well with the four assists. Um, and then kind of to round it all out, we talked about the back line and how important those two back defenders are. Um, Grace Coppinger is really our key defenseman for for TCU. She is the one who holds down the fort while everyone else takes off moving forward. Yeah, a couple things. One on Hennessy, she has 21 total shots uh, this year, 13 of which are on goal. To have four goals from 21 shots is an awesome percentage. And on Copinger, uh, she, I think, is basically the one defender who stays on the field at all times. You can tell that she has Eric Bell's trust. She's played 90 minutes game after game after game. So an extremely important player to our team. All right. Do we have anything else on uh, on soccer? No. All right. With that, we are going to lead in. TCU tennis is a great sport. Jacob took me to my first actual tennis match I went to a year or two ago for TCU. It's a blast, and we are good for putting a solid pro out every couple of years pretty comfortably. So what do we know about TCU tennis, boys? Well, I can kind of take the lead on this one. Um, but I, I know a whole lot of nothing. <laughs> yeah, I actually got the chance to go up and see one of our players play up in Birmingham um, this past weekend, Jake Fearnley. Uh, he's a senior TCU, but he is taking the fall off of school so that he can play in professional tournaments because with professional tennis – it's on a ranking system, and you basically get points based on how many matches you play and how many matches you win. So in order to move up in the rankings, you have to play matches, and you can't really play matches if you're taking classes. So Jake is taking the fall off. He actually won this tournament up in Birmingham, which put him up to around 800 in the world for singles, which is crazy in my opinion to be like to be the 800 800th per best person in the world at something there are a lot of people in the world so just it, it, it's a that's awesome uh and he actually won the tournament for doubles as well so that bumped him up to around 260th in the world for doubles and if you guys remember back or even know of wimbledon Jake actually played in the main draw of Wimbledon this year, and he won, I believe, two matches at Wimbledon. Uh, but Jake is going to play in Glasgow this week in another tournament, and I think he has one or two more here in the UK uh, before heading back to school to start prepping for the indoor season. But right now at TCU is the ITA Texas Regionals Tournament, which is an individual tournament. College tennis is a team sport. And we'll probably get into that a little bit closer towards the season. But uh, in this tournament, we actually have a guy in the finals playing tomorrow. Or I guess today, because it's Tuesday when people are going to be listening to it. But uh, Pedro Vives beat Baylor's number one player um in three sets he beat texas's number two player and just because it's texas's number two doesn't mean he's not as good this guy was ranked like 16th in the country 
So he beat Texas as number two, beat Baylor's number one, and he's playing Texas as number three in the finals of this regional. But because he made the finals, he is now advancing to the ITA national championships. Uh, so that, I think, is in two weeks or so. Uh, we would have had another player in the semifinals today, but unfortunately, Jack Pennington twisted his ankle on match point. He was destroying Texas's number th uh, four player, and he had a match point, rolled his ankle, and really couldn't couldn't do much after that. He couldn't move terribly well. Uh, but he didn't withdraw from the match, which you can do. So the fact that he didn't withdraw and still fought it out to the end, that just shows the fight of this team and the mentality they have. Uh, and Jack is actually our most uh, accomplished player this fall, in college tennis at least. He made the round of 16 at the All-American Tournament, which he had to withdraw because of illness. So who knows, he very well could have made it even further in that tournament. Um, also want to shout out two doubles teams in this tournament, uh, the Texas Regionals. Pedro Vives, again, is playing with Sebastian Gorsny. They are a top 15 doubles pairing in the country, and they're playing against Louis Maxted and uh, Duncan Chan, who are the 38th ranked doubles pairing in the country, and they're playing each other in the finals. It's an all-TCU doubles finals matchup, and both of those teams have now made the ITA national tournaments. Um, overall, we have a bunch of freshmen this year. This was kind of a big turnover year for TCU tennis. We had Luke Fomba and Xander Zhang last year. They'd been with the team forever. They were star players for us. Uh, Fomba played the three, uh, and Zhang played the four. Fomba sometimes played the two. He and Jack kind of switched back and forth last year. But because both of those guys graduated, we needed we need people to people to slot into those key positions. And I think from everything I've seen this year, Pedro has stepped it up. His improvement is through the roof. I think he's won like four professional tournaments as well over the summer. Like the improvement from him is just absolutely crazy. If he wins the uh, regionals, that would be huge for TCU, huge confidence booster for him. Um, and his confidence already has to be sky high. So just having that, that if we, if we can have four solid solid players, that's we'll beat most teams in the country. Uh, and with Jake Fearnley, Jack Pennington, Pedro Vives, and Sebastian Gorsny, I think we have those four. And then we also have Louis Maxted. We got the freshman coming in. We have a couple other returners. We have a really deep team. It's a young team. Um, but Duncan Chan, Maxted's partner for the doubles, was actually the 75th ranked uh, junior player in the world before coming to TCU which kind of means that he probably could have gone pro um, instead of going to school. Like if you're that good in the juniors, you have a chance of making the pro circuit right away and making a living off of it. We have a really deep tennis team. I love college tennis. I watch every single match. 
Uh, I write a little bit about them on the TCU sports boards on 24 seven sports. Um, I tweet about them all the time. College tennis is maybe my favorite season of the year. Um, and I'm really looking forward to the spring because we've won back-to-back indoor national titles. And we made the final four of the outdoor tournament last year, hoping that we can make it back-to-back-to-back national titles and uh, maybe add one outdoor title as well. So I've got one more thing to add to to all this tennis talk. Um, It's my one nugget of goodness in tennis um and for anyone who's like me and doesn't keep up with tcu tennis unlike jacob um i have a i have a question for jacob so we talked about jake fairly he's the number seven player in, in the country right now he's our number one right he's our best player uh which pro does he most remind you of that's a really tough question um, I, I think build wise, I think he's built similarly to Novak Djokovic, although it's completely unfair to compare anybody's game to Novak Djokovic's. Um, Jake has a really solid net game because of all of the doubles he's played at TCU. Um, so he relies on it a lot more than I think a lot of pros do. He's not afraid to come into the net at all. Uh, his passing shots in the match that I saw him play were great. He played against Kyle Edmund, who some people might know. Um, he used to be the number 14 ranked player in the world. He was England's number one player before Cam Norrie became England's number one player. Frankly, Jake was miles better than Kyle, um, which is fair. Jake's much, much younger, and uh, Kyle's had some injuries that he's just now starting to get over. But it wasn't close at all. As to what play, pro player he reminds me of, really, I think I, I can't. I can't really give you a give you a firm name on that. All that being said, we've hammered a lot of the more popular non-football sports. We're gonna bring it home with one particularly obscure non-football sport. What do you boys know? about college basketball and how is TCU at it? I'll start us off with, I guess, the Big 12 media days. Um, I was able to run home from school and watch uh, Jamie Dixon and Emmanuel Miller talk for a little bit. Um, And Dixon basically said that last year he thought they were one of the older teams in the league and then He actually looked at it, and we were one of the younger teams in the league, which part of me has a hard time believing. Um, But he says this year we really are possibly the oldest team in the league. We have five players returning. We have five transfers, all but one of which I think are seniors or um, graduate students. And then we have two freshmen. Um, We have three good new guards. Uh, and he thinks we're deeper at the guard position than last year, although he did emphasize that he needs them on the floor. He said that Mike and Dame were fantastic for us, but they missed 15 games combined last year. And if that happens this year, it will not be good for us. I would also um, say, just going off of that, I think we're deeper at the big position this year 
as well because obviously last year we we lost um Eddie and that honestly like bigs in basketball don't necessarily get as much like fame I, I think as the guards do but a big strong defensive center is really really important in a lot of ways and I think the fact that we now have the depth to be able to rotate in guys, you'll see us run a lot faster than we even have been previously. Uh, another thing that Dixon really hammered in, in my opinion, was the travel. Uh, the team visited London and Paris over the summer and played a couple games. Unfortunately, I was in Austria. So I I was kicking myself that I the one time TCU comes to the UK, I'm not there. Um, but said that the team had a really fun trip, a uh, really great trip. They had a different starting lineup every game, and the assistant coaches actually took turns being the head coach uh, in different games, and they didn't necessarily know who they were playing uh, up until about five minutes before tip-off. So it was kind of a – Go out, see what we have, um, see what's going on. And Dixon said, I think this this press conference is really big for recruiting um, because Dixon hammered in that he's a good travel agent. He said, we go to London, we go to Paris, we're going to Hawaii this year, we're going to D.C., we're going to Toronto. If you want to be on a team that travels and goes really cool places, come to TCU. And the last thing I'll say about the Big 12 Media Days is he was asked about non-conference scheduling. And this is a point of contention for TCU fans every year when the non-conference schedule comes out. So what Dixon basically said was that every team has six easy games, every team in the country. And um, I think we lost one of those last year. So maybe they're not so easy games. Uh, and then Dixon said he tries to fill the other six games with the best teams that he can fill them with. This year we're playing, I think, Mississippi State. We're playing Clemson, uh, just power five schools from across the country, trying to build up, build up a resume, but also play realistic teams. Like we aren't going to compete with Duke or UNC. And, and for for what it's worth, with these in mind, um, you said we're playing Mississippi State. We lost to Mississippi State last year, correct? Okay. So yeah. that's when we complain about these games, Mississippi State's a team that beat us. If we want to improve, we need to be beating the teams that used to be better than us. Yeah, absolutely. And with all that, I really want to turn it over to Barrett because he is the basketball mastermind. Take us away, buddy. Yeah, so to get into Jamie Dixon's system here, um, TCU basically plays a system that is predicated on pace. We play with a extremely, extremely high speed of play um, where we're running and gunning and trying to get a lot of points in transition. Um, he's always going, even going back to his time at Pitt, He's always had incredibly strong defensive teams. This team is no exception to that. Uh, we have a lot of size in terms of weight, I would say, 
on the inside with our bigs and with our forwards, our guards, um, Jameer Nelson coming in, he's going to slide right in and take over that, like that Mike miles role. He will have the keys to the offense. Um, and I expect him to be our key player for this year. Um, I anticipate the the Frogs to dominate teams on the boards, both offense and defensive boards. Uh, We have really good rebounding across the entire team. And while our bigs may lack, like, real offensive ability, um, they're pretty strong defensively, and they are incredibly good at rebounding. And so I expect us to absolutely dominate teams, get that defensive board, and – kick it out for a deep outlet to our speedy guards out in transition. Again, I mentioned it. Nelson's going to have a key to the offense. He plays very physically. Um, and I think that and Avery Anderson is going to be basically Damian Ball light for this year. Dude can't really shoot, but he's athletic as all get out. Um, one kind of key change from this year for like transitioning from last year to this year, we have a lot more shooters this year than we did last year. Um, I think that Emmanuel Miller, obviously we know him, we love him. He was a preseason um, all big 12 player. He's phenomenal. Um, Jamie had mentioned that he was trying to get him to take more three pointers this year and attempt more. He's at like a basically 40% rate, which is really good. Um, Tennyson, who is one of our transfers in, I think Tennyson can potentially be that kind of Desmond Bain replacement that we desperately, desperately need. Um, We need someone who can come in and space out the floor and create space for Jameer Nelson Jr., uh, for Avery Anderson to be able to drive into the lane. And Tennyson does exactly that. He's a career, he shot 40% from three last year. He's an 89% free throw shooter, so he's got a really good stroke and really good form, and he's going to be the guy who helps spread the ball, spread the defense to create driving lanes for our guards. Um, Moving on to another guy who was here from last season, kind of last season was a little bit hindered by injury, Micah Peavy. He's going to be moving to more of a guard-style role instead of a forward so he'll have a much larger offensive role. I don't necessarily expect him to have like a huge boost in offensive numbers, uh, maybe slightly more efficient. Um, he's still our number one perimeter defender. He's still going to be the guy who you throw him on whoever and lock them down for an entire game. Um, and he is one of the keys to our defense. I will say that I think Jameer Nelson Jr. is actually an underrated perimeter defender as well. He's averaged 2.4 steals per game last year. Granted, that was against like not amazing competition um, coming over from Delaware, but I think he's actually like sneaky good on defense. We will have an incredibly strong defensive team. Now, that being said, we've talked a lot about our defense and about how I think our defense will be very good similar to what Jamie Dixon's teams have been in the past. I will be the first to say Jamie Dixon runs a motion offense in like a half court offensive scheme, which I personally do not like motion offenses. 
Um, I think they turn into stagnant offenses because it's very reliant on your offensive players making the motion themselves. And a lot of the times, like, and granted, if you follow basketball at all, like the Golden State Warriors, when they were absolutely just dominating everyone, ran a motion offense. However, they had one of the best or like three of the best offensive players of all time playing on that team. And so you're comparing like a very, very, very unique situation with a lot of strong offensive players playing on the Golden State Warriors to a situation like TCU where maybe you have one or two great offensive players, but motion offense is predicated on playmaking, decision-making, your, your players making the effort to be able to move within the offense. And if they are not doing that, if they're staying stagnant, the offense is stagnant. And so I will say that while I think there's more potential for TCU to be better on the offensive end this year than they have been previously, I think it's still going to be like our kind of Achilles heel is that half-court offense. And that's why we work so hard to run in space and run in transition to be able to get our points before the defense can get set. Yeah, and speaking of playing offense, our team actually had a secret scrimmage against Alabama uh, a couple days ago. Um, And... Played pretty well. They won the game. I believe it was 85 to 81. And this is what I think TCU fans are going to be most excited about. Guess how many free throws we took, Barrett? 18. No, 26. Guess how many we made? I'm salivating with you about to give us this stat. I don't know what this is. I'm terrified, but I'm so excited. Please say more than 20. We made 22 out of the 26 free throws. No way! (laughs) Guys, we just won March Madness. (laughs) Yeah, if we can can make, what would that be? Uh, That would be like 86-ish percent. Maybe a little bit less, maybe like 83. If we can make in the 80s for our team percentage, that would be light years ahead of where TCU has been. If we can make ever. If we can make even just vaguely reliable, like forget 80%, anything way short of that would be impressive. I can think of the number of TCU basketball games, or I can't think of, and I certainly can't count on my fingers. How many TCU basketball games I've given up on because it came down to free throws and I knew we'd blow the game on a free throw. The, us actually making free throws, as dumb as it is, is enormous for this team. Yeah, and in addition to free throws, we also shot 43% from behind the arc. We made 9 out of 21 three-pointers, which is another thing wow. that TCU hasn't done terribly consistently the past several years. Uh, we actually did get out-rebounded, though, which is interesting. Uh, by two, 33. Because that's normally the one thing we're good at. Yeah. Um, 
Assist to turnover ratio, not great, but also these guys, it was first game action against anybody else. That's to be expected. Um, to highlight a couple players from the game, Jameer Nelson had 25 points and six assists. And Jacoby Coles, who I have championed ever since I sat in the players section at the Big 12 tournament and his mom was sitting next to me. Uh, he had 18 points and nine rebounds. He's our leading rebounder. Jacoby Coles, I called it last season. He was going to have a big year. He's going to have a big year again. Uh, I think he's going to play a little bit more of a stretch four this year since we actually have centers. Um, so look for Coles to really, really light it up this year. Yeah, I, I could easily see us running – Coles and Emmanuel Miller as like those kind of pseudo three, four, switching them in and out. Yeah. Um, and Dixon said that PV might start as a guard. So we could have Jameer Nelson, who isn't the biggest guy in the world, but he's not small. And then we could have PV, who's six eight, Miller, who's six eight, Coles, who's six nine, and Uday, who's like 6'11", 7 foot. That's a massive starting lineup. That's incredible. Yeah, and and you mentioned Nelson's size. He's 6'2", 205, but the dude is built like a truck. Um, he is extremely physical for how small, I would say, of a guard he is. And that's not to say that he's like super tiny. 6'2", still like a decent sized guard, but um, he he plays a lot bigger than he is. And because of that, he draws free throws, and he shot 10 of them against Alabama and made eight. So having a guard who can reliably hit free throws and get to the line like that is awesome for the team. To go off of that free throw thing, the three guards that we brought in this year in Nelson – Anderson and Tennyson for reference shot 78%, 82% and 89% from the free throw line last year. So big improvement from what we had with Damian Ball. <laughs> um, I will say the two bigs that we brought in are not good free throw shooters, but we're not as reliant on our bigs for offensive production as a lot of teams are. I still remember Damian Ball's mom calling him out on Twitter Saying like, man, you gotta hit the free throws. <laughs> All right. Any last thoughts on basketball? I have one last thought, but I want to conclude on it on our basketball part. All right, gentlemen and ladies, if you are listening with children, hit mute for the next 10 seconds. I told everyone that Josh Hoover was going to make all these teams suck his cold hard balls. That did not happen. That may not happen. However, Coach Jamie Dixon is going to walk out there and make sure that our Dixon, all y'all's mouths, go frogs. We are running the table at March Madness. And with that being said, we're going to veer off all these basketball games and tennis games and volleyball games and soccer games and everything. And we made some picks last week. I have no idea what anyone's doing in the standings because my computer slightly exploded. That being said, we've got some games this week. We 
Do not have to pick against or for TCU. Thank God. And we're going to get right into it. Who is winning Oklahoma at Kansas? Uh, I am going to go with... I've been betting on Jalen Daniels coming back every single week and picking Kansas, and that has yet to happen, so I'm going to pick OU here. Those are my thoughts as well. I am with both of you. I just got back from so-called Kansas this weekend, and I was thoroughly convinced the state isn't real. Oklahoma's running away with it. What about Houston at Kansas State? Jacob. Uh, I'll take Kansas State. I think they've, for some reason, got this two-quarterback system working. Barrett. Uh, let's go with – we saw the doc, Dr. Jekyll version of Will Howard this week, obviously. Um, that didn't work out too well for the Frogs. Um, Houston sucks, though. I think even if we see the Mr. Hyde version of Will Howard, they're still going to lose. So I'm picking K-State here. I'm thinking the same thing. Will Howard, like Jacob has said before, has a tendency to torture us. So I don't know if we'll get the best version of Will Howard next week against not us, but Houston is just not good enough. It's going to be K-State. West Virginia at UCF. Jacob. I think UCF I saw was favored pretty heavily in uh, this matchup, and I agree with Vegas. Um, I think they've figured out their running offense, and – I think that West Virginia beat us, and we are very bad. Um, so that doesn't really show anything on West Virginia's side. So I'll take UCF. Barrett. I think West Virginia friends, fans are finally going to get what they've been asking for. I think that they will get a Neil Brown stinker, and UCF with that Gus Malzahn on offense is going to run right over them. UCF by 90. If this were in Morgantown, I might have a different tune, but I'm with both of y'all. UCF's winning this one. BYU at Texas. Jacob. Texas by a lot. The the one caveat I will say here is Quinn Ewers is hurt right now. I don't now. think that matters. I it's worth noting. Um, I still think Texas probably wins this one. BYU had a good win against Texas Tech this weekend. They're feeling hot. Texas is bound to give up a game they shouldn't. I'm giving this to be – I said Houston would be close, and I was right. But I picked Texas. This time, I don't just think it's going to be a tight game. I think it's going to be tight. And BYU, for no reason at all – beats Texas. Iowa State at Baylor. I will take Iowa State. Doesn't matter. I'm not picking Baylor. (laughs) Barrett. Give me Matt Campbell. I'm a Matt Campbell truther. Iowa State. I have always had similar feelings to Jacob. Iowa State it is. Now... Jacob, Oklahoma State at Cincy. 
And I have a hit theory that you think Oklahoma State has it figured out finally. Oklahoma State does have it figured out. Uh, I think they walked into Morgantown last week. Ollie Gordon might be the best running back in the country. So I think they ride him to another win. Barrett. I do not think Oklahoma State has it figured out. Um, I think since his defense is good enough to shut Ollie Gordon down, and I think when that happens, their quarterback is going to flounder. So I'm going to pick Cincy on this one. I have a third position from both of you on whether or not they have it figured out. I don't care if they have it figured out. Cincy is not that good, and it's at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State wins this one. Next up, in our couple games around the country, we have got the world's oldest cocktail party or something. Georgia versus Florida in Jacksonville. Jacob. I think that Georgia is going to struggle in this game, especially with no Brock Bowers. Um, I think I'll still take him because of that defense, but weird things happen in rivalry games. Barrett. Um, Y'all know I don't like Florida at all. That being said, no Brock Bowers. Georgia's quarterback has not looked good this entire season. Um, I think the Florida defense puts up a incredible game. This game potentially gets a defensive touchdown. And I think Florida walks away with this win. They have been pretty vocal that Georgia is not as good as they were in past years. However, I hate Florida. I am a Florida State guy. All that being said, Brock Bowers is hurt. Jacob already said weird things happen in rivalry games. And you know what else? Really weird things happen in Jacksonville, Florida. I am not only taking the 14 or so points for Florida. I'm taking Florida money line. I've never wanted to be wrong more on one of my Georgia picks. I really hope Georgia comes and kicks Florida's teeth in. I will be rooting for Georgia. I hate the University of Florida, but I think Florida pulls this one out. Oregon, Utah. Jacob. Where is it? Uh, it is at Utah. I'm going to roll with the Utes then. All right, Barrett. Uh, Oregon's offense, man, is so good. Uh, they've looked so incredibly good. I I saw a stat the other day that Bo Nix has played like the the most games as a starting quarterback, or like one of the most games as a starting quarterback in NCAA history, which is absolutely ridiculous. He's up he's up there with uh, Stetson Bennett, <laughs> um, but. I think Oregon pulls this one out. The Pac-12 is having the best season it's had in a long time for its retirement sunsetting round. I don't think they've sent a team to the playoffs in the last, like, seven years. Utah is going to do what Utah does, and they're going to make sure that they don't send a team to the playoffs one last time. Utah will be beating Oregon. Next, we've got Duke-Louisville. Jacob. I'm going to take Duke. Louisville has some big plays and some star power. 
But I think the consistency of Duke and that defense is going to get it done. Yeah. Blue Devils are taking this one in an easy game. Duke terrified me as a Florida State guy this weekend. I'm taking Duke. My last one before we get into our higher point round, Wyoming at Boise State. We've been Wyoming truthers in this podcast, and Boise State is picked by five at home against Wyoming. Jacob. I'll take Wyoming just to continue the trend. Barrett. I'm going to ride with Wyoming as well. Go Cowboys. They have lost to UT and an undefeated Air Force, which the Air Force offense, if you guys have not watched them play, is incredibly good. Incredibly good. So I think Wyoming takes this one, and I actually don't think it's particularly close. I think that the odds makers are insane picking Boise. Boise is always a team I bet on, and this year it has cost me money. I think Wyoming takes this for sure, and I'll certainly be betting against Boise this week. Now for our more important round, three points each, with Brock Bowers out. The whole country is asking, who is the best team in Georgia? Georgia State or Georgia Southern? Jacob. Uh, I'm going to go with Georgia State just because I think the Panthers drafted a fullback from them years ago, Alex Armagh. Um, so I'll take Georgia State. Barry. Let's just go with the more Southern one, Georgia Southern. We have actually had Georgia State in one of our games previously this season and they won that one life regresses to the mean georgia state's losing georgia southern's taking this one next game we have ohio dominican at findlay or findlay i'm not quite sure how it's pronounced i'm pretty sure it's an acronym and or short for something but all the espn app gave me was f-i-n-d-l-a-y so ohio dominican at findlay Jacob. Uh, I'll take Ohio Dominican. Um, I guess when you pair up Ohio, which is probably the worst state with the Dominican Republic, it, I guess, maybe makes a good football team. Barrett. I think that taking a country and putting it in a place that doesn't exist is a recipe for disaster. I'm going to take Findlay Prep, the the high school or whatever, um, that <laughs> produces a bunch of good basketball players. All right. Jacob was on to something criticizing Ohio. Barrett was on to something criticizing Ohio. However, Ohio Dominican is definitely a school run by Dominican Flyers, and I always bet on my fellow Catholic boys. Ohio Dominican it is. Last in this round, we have a Lion Call, according to the ESPN app, which I think is Lion College, L-Y-O-N College, at Hilbert College. So Lion College at Hilbert College, Jacob. 
I'll go with the Lions. Barrett. Hilbert College all the way, only because they have a hilariously weird and funny name. I wanted to go with the Lions, but I have a lot of friends at Hillsdale, which I assume is a cousin of Hilbert. And for that reason, I'm going with Hilbert College. Last but not least, we our mystery game. As always, XL has picked for me. I am team one, Jacob. Who won it last week? Last week, team two won. Okay. Oh, that's a first. Uh, I'm going to go with team one. Barrett. I said I would ride with team one until they lost. They lost, so switching it over to team two now. All right, so this week, Barrett is alone on team two. There's a lot to be said of that. Um, all that being said, we've got a lot of good football coming up. I uh, I can't share my bets because I can't look at two screens at once right now with my computer being as finicky as it is. I definitely have Florida money line. I definitely have Wyoming money line. And I definitely have Utah money line. I have a couple others. And if you want to find them, follow at TCU's Three Wise Men on Twitter, where you'll find both Jacob's and my bets the days that the games occur. Otherwise... Thank you all for listening to your three favorite geniuses takes on all things TCU football and all things TCU anything but football and other interesting things around the country. Have a great one. See you all next week and go frogs. They're playing basketball. Uh, all around the we world. Uh, <laughs> to the beach. Let's go. Uh, all around the we world. Y'all know this is so, so dead.